Okay, so who's got their Christmas tree up already? Show of hands. Okay, that's okay. This is not a Christmas message. <laughs> but the, the connection I have is that when Jackie was sharing there about Advent, um, in our house in the past few years, um, Andrew has put a lot of work into the Sundays in Advent leading up to Christmas. So for us, um, it's putting up the Christmas tree. So if you a candle for us, it's um, putting up the Christmas tree and having a bit of a devotional time. And we do that every Sunday. And I think it's a good practice to set, actually. Um, no, we <laughs> no, we do something. So there's a theme every week. So the first one is put up the Christmas tree. Thank you. <laughs> That's awful hecklers. That's my husband for anyone who's watching online. He just heckled me, <laughs> and he knows I'm nervous. Okay, um, I, I'm very painfully nervous this morning, and I don't know why. Um, but I will be brief. Um, because it's just a few thoughts I feel that are for us this morning. Um, and, okay, to set this up, I want you to use your imagination a little bit, okay? Um, imagine you're on an aeroplane, okay? So it might be a while since some of you have been on an aeroplane. Um, but I want you to think about, um, you have the aisle in the middle and you have seats either side, okay? Who likes sitting by the window, right? Who likes an aisle seat so they can get off quick, Okay. There we go. So we're showing personality types here of where you prefer to sit. You want to be first off, first in the line for the toilet, all those things. But some people like a window seat. They like to look out, okay? So imagine that. Imagine that. You have two sides, either side of the aisle. And I'm going to ask you again to use your imagination and imagine on one side of the plane, there's a seat there reserved for you. And in this metaphor, I want you to see that as a seat of um, when you accept faith, when you come to faith, when you accept salvation, when you come into a personal relationship with God, there's a seat there for you on that side of the plane. And it's a bit like when we were singing that song a moment ago as well with my soul. If you're singing that and you truly feel that in your heart and you say, yes, it is well, despite everything else going on, my relationship is there. That's that seat on that side of the plane. And while that isn't the focus of my talk this morning, I want to first of all put that in because that really is why we're here. Ultimately, we're here to point people to Jesus so that everyone that we meet, everyone that comes in through our church doors, everyone who listens to us, they're pointed to Jesus. They're pointed to this invitation of a seat to sit there and have relationship with the Father. And if that's not your experience this morning, that's the most important thing I want you to dwell on. Um, it's something certainly to talk about. Um, because it is, it is the most important decision that we make in our lives. And for me and for many people here, that's our experience, that we've accepted that seat, that free offering of salvation. But what I want to focus on is the other side of the plane this morning. So if you have a seat on the left side here, I want you to think there's also a corresponding seat on the other side of the plane. And that's your seat of service. Okay? And that sounds so cheesy. It was so good when I prepared this. But... Imagine, okay, a seat of service, and it's not a scary seat, but if you have one on this side of the plane, there is one for you over there, no matter who you are. And this service, I don't just mean services and roles in a church, like being a pastor or worship leader or those sorts of things, but I mean things in your real life where God's calling you to use your gifts and talents to reach others, to be a light. That service can look like lots of different things. And, and this morning what I hope to do is to um, stir something in you that maybe you already know what that is, but I want you to go deeper. I want you to get really comfy in your seat. Um, and we're going to look through some things that might get in the way of that and hopefully it will be helpful. 
Okay, so as I said, there, I think there's, there's different types of people. So if you're here this morning, you're going, I don't know what my state of service is, hopefully that will be helpful to you. And if you do, hopefully you'll get really comfy in it. So the scripture I want to start with this morning is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and the verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you are going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. Um, And when I was preparing for this, I did look up lots of different translations and versions of the Bible to see if there was any difference, because sometimes that can be helpful in understanding a verse. With this one, there isn't a lot of difference. It basically is the same in every translation that I could find. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And that's a verse that may be familiar to you. um, It may be the first time you've ever heard it. Um, But I'm going to suggest that it's maybe one of those very misused, misquoted verses. Um, that's maybe mis-said, that's not a way to put that, but inappropriately said to you, that's a better way to put it. And what I really want to dismantle it a little bit this morning, and I also want to challenge you about what it doesn't mean. So it doesn't say, do everything and do it with all your might. Do you hear the difference? It also doesn't say, only do the things you can do with all your might. Do you hear the difference in that? It says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And if I'm going to encourage you this morning to take your seat of service, it would be very easy for a verse like this to make you feel shamed or make you feel like, well, I can't, I can't do it with all my might. I can't be perfect, so I shouldn't take my seat. But what I want to do is look at that phrase, all your might, and just ask you to think about it in terms of how God sees us and how the world sees us. So um, in Mark chapter 12, um, I'm going to read a couple of verses. Um, we read the story about the widow's offering. Okay, I'm just going to read a couple of verses to set it up. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few pence. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. And what I want to suggest to you is that when we think about doing something with all your might to the world, that can look so insignificant. To this woman, all she had went into that. That was ultimate submission, ultimate sacrifice, ultimate service. That was all she could do. But to Jesus pointing this out, that was everything. That was worth so much more than so much more money than wealthy people could have put in. And what I would suggest to you is that when we think about serving and we think about our inadequacies, think about how God views us in that. He's not looking at a perfect standard. He's not looking for the best person to do to fill that seat. He's looking for someone who can sacrifice, who can submit, who can serve with with the right heart. It's not the physical act that he's looking for. And I think that's helpful to remember as well. He doesn't need us to, to fill that seat. He is more than capable of fulfilling works and reaching people without us. It's our privilege. And he's not doing it because he thinks he needs us. It's because it's an opportunity for us to be involved in that work. And that is a blessing. So I want to run through a few, few ideas here of why maybe people are not maybe fully engaged in their seat of service and why that might be a barrier. Um, the first one could be fear of getting it wrong. 
which everybody must be able to relate to. Um, and from a spiritual point of view, it may be that if you have become accustomed to a view of God that is very scary, that is authoritarian, that is strict, that is, um, is a scary person in the sky, then it makes sense that you may be afraid to get something wrong. There's a fear of stepping out. There's a fear of, of doing something that's going to get us into trouble or that's going to make God take his love away from us and sometimes we can develop those distorted images of God but what I want to encourage you to do is to think about all the parts of scripture where we read about God as our heavenly father so in the way that if you're a parent here you know your love towards your children even if you're not a parent here you know the the good feelings you have towards the children in church this morning like you if they done something and they made a good effort you would all go that's really good well done you know, we were sitting colour in there during worship and Ethan coloured in his picture and he showed me and he was so happy. And it's just, that childlike, you know, and when you look at it, a lot of you would go, that's a really good job, well done. And if we do that and we're so imperfect, try and reframe that with the Heavenly Father relationship. You know, I think we must look that cute <laughs> when we do things and we think we're doing a great job and really it's not at all. But if you think of that version of the Heavenly Father looking down on your works and your service, it's a lot, much nicer way to, to feel, isn't it? And while I do think, yes, we have to have reverence and God is holy and the, I'm not trying to be heretical here, but I think that we need to balance that out a little bit and take away that fear and remember that there's love there first. For some people... They haven't stood still long enough to know where their seat is, right? And this is, I hold my hand up, busyness is a wonderful distraction. So sometimes you might be asked to be doing something, maybe God's prompting you in your heart to have a conversation with someone or to serve in some way or to engage spiritually and make a commitment, but busyness is a great distraction. And what I would say to myself and to you is that God clearly in scripture says that we need rest. We need regular periods of rest like actually doing nothing. So not a rest of like, oh, I'm going to read three chapters of scripture and I'm going to pray for an art, not one with an itinerary, but an actual rest time where God can speak to us and prompt us and say, this is maybe what you need to do. And again, this can't, might not be a big thing. It may not be, I want you to go plant a church. It may be, I want you to go and have that conversation with that neighbor that you, you always avoid, but actually I have a word for them and I really want you, I really want you to serve me in this way. We need periods of space and rest to hear that voice. Another thing that may get in the way of some of us um, taking that seat is words or labels that have been spoken over us. Um, we talked a little bit in our Wednesday night meetings about life scripts and about how sometimes we have an idea of how life should go, what we should be doing and what people expect of us. And I would go a wee bit deeper and I would say a lot of this starts off when we're a lot younger. Um, maybe labels that have been spoken over you, positive or negative, but you've brought them with you. And I really kindly want to say that those things are not always true in adulthood, okay? So when we describe someone in a certain way and they bring that into adulthood and they try to serve, if their core belief about something is, well, I'm the quiet one, there's no way that they're going to accept that seat when God says, actually, I need you to speak a word for me. Actually, I need you to be a prayer warrior and I need you to lead people. If that's a label we put over someone when they're young, that's going to be really hard to break out of. So we need to be really careful with reframing that for us, but also with our young people. So we have plenty of children in this church, and I think it's really mindful of us to think about how we speak to them, how we describe them, how we encourage them. 
So for example, like our, our teenagers, <laughs> you won't want me to point to them, but most of them are down there. Um, you know, they're responsible for a lot of the, the sound and the audio stuff that goes on every week. And they will hate the attention for this. But I think it's really good for us to be encouraging them for their effort. Not by saying, you are so smart, I could never do this. Okay, because the reality is the campus is smart about everything, so we don't want to set them up for something they're going to fail. You know, there's something they're going to fail at in life. But, but it is very important to encourage the effort, to be able to say, I appreciate you showing up at 10 o'clock on, on Sunday mornings once a month. I appreciate the effort you're putting in. That's what we want to praise. We want the label over them to be someone who shows up someone who's willing to serve, who's willing to learn, who's willing to sacrifice time for other people. That's what we want to encourage. So in ourselves, but in our young people as well. It may be that you're not sure what your seat is. So in that case, I would suggest humbly, maybe it's time to ask someone. So if you're sitting thinking, like, I do have a well in heart, I want, to, I want to do something for God, but you really genuinely don't know what that is, this is time to get good counsel. Find someone you trust that whose counsel you think is wise, that they've no ulterior motive, and ask them, what are, what are my gifts? What do I bring? What should I be doing? And people will help you. That's a really important one. Um, sometimes not feeling like you're good enough is another barrier. And to this, I would also ask you to go back to the reframing about how your Heavenly Father sees you. How does he see you? I'm going to tell you on the authority of scripture that you are enough. What you bring with everything you've got with you, all your baggage, all your insecurities, everything, he's saying you are enough. You, you totally have a seat over here. No matter what you've been through, no matter what other people have said, you are enough. The last barrier I feel that there could be here is shame. And Sometimes shame of our past, sometimes shame over things we're not proud of, sometimes shame that doesn't belong to us but we've had to carry, that can get in the way. And the example from scripture here I thought about was um, the Apostle Paul. So lots of you will know his story, if you don't you can read the book of Acts and, and read about it. Um, but Paul, he was Saul before he was converted. And if you think about him and the impact he had on the early Christian church, he was you know, people call him like the first missionary. There's whole books written about him and his work and his travels and his ministry. Imagine him at the point of conversion and maybe God's telling him, you know, this is what I need you to do. I need you to go preach. I need you to reach the world. And he used to say, look, I'm really glad for my seat on this side of the plane. I'm thankful for my salvation, but I have done too much. And for anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, Saul persecuted Christians. And not in a way that we can speak publicly here. The things that he would have done and been involved in were horrific, that we couldn't speak about them publicly. So he's bringing all that shame and all that into this situation. And you could understand if he was going to go, no, like I will humbly live a quiet life till I go, but I can't be preaching to people. I can't take that. The shame he must have had to battle with, because he was human, Although as much as he was great, he was human. He was just like us. Imagine what the, the early Christian church, imagine what scripture would have looked like if he couldn't have worked past that. And while I'm not saying that he's going to call you all to be missionaries if you take the seat, I'm saying that there's things, there's people, there's conversations, people that will be reached by you taking your seat that are really, really important. And 
again, bringing it back to how your Heavenly Father sees you. He's not looking at you through the lens of your past. He's not looking through you at the lens of things you've done or not done. He's looking at you now. And it's lovingly and compassionately, and it's with more than enough. You are more than enough. You have a seat over here. And I want to suggest to you that we need everyone to take their seats. Like this church, if this is what you're called to do, we we need you to do that. If it's in your community, if it's at a school gate, if it's in the shop tomorrow morning, there's some, there's service to be had in all areas of our lives. And we're maybe just too afraid. And like, you don't need me to get to say this over you today, but I'm going to say, you don't need to be. You are enough and you need to take that seat. And imagine the impact it could be if everyone who's listening done that. Imagine if I fully, fully took my seat and everyone else did as well, the impact that would have. And it may be a physical service, it may be spiritual service, but I think there's something for everyone to do. And when I was thinking about this in terms of examples, because this is very theoretical, um, I was thinking around prayer, because you know, if you're saved and you have that relationship with the Father, it's something we all engage with. And maybe you say, well, I'm not in a place where I'm going to be physically serving or doing things in community or, you know, I'm, I'm not in that place. But maybe someone has spoke a word over you and said, you have a gift in prayer. You know, you're, you're really encouraging. You know, you're fervent with it. You know, that might be where your seat is. Imagine the impact if you could take one thing on your heart for a couple of months and say, well, I'm going to pray over that. For an hour a day, that's my thing. Imagine the impact that would have. Not just on, in the spiritual realm, but on your fellow brothers and sisters. So if, you were, if you're here and you're thinking, well, maybe that's me, if you could commit to praying for the youth club, maybe an hour every week when the youth club's on, imagine the impact that that would have on the leaders to know that there's someone fervently praying for an hour for us. They're praying over the work. Imagine the impact, even just by encouraging other people, but spiritually, what could be the fruit of that? And that's a, re- that's a, small, that's a small act of service. But what I hope to do this morning is that by talking around this, that I'm maybe encouraging you to think about where is your seat? And are you willing to take it? And I don't mean that in a judgmental, strict, parental way, you need to take your seat. I mean, you get to take your seat. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Um, I am gonna close it up in a wee, a wee minute. I don't have a lot more to say. Um, I think this is all that I had to say this morning. I've no idea how long I've taken. Um, I do want to pray over you, though. Um, so if, if you'll indulge me, maybe if you can close your eyes and kind of settle yourself. And I want to take some of these things I've talked about and pray them over all of you and myself. Just for a wee moment. Lord, I thank you this morning for every person gathered here. I thank you for people who are watching online. And Lord, I just, I thank you, Lord, for that first seat that you've invited us to. Lord, I I thank you for salvation. I thank you for the cross. I thank you for the finished work, Lord. And Lord, I thank you that that's my experience. And Lord, I pray for anyone who who is here and that's not the step that they have taken, Lord. I just pray for a move of the spirit in their heart, Lord. A spirit um, of conviction, Lord, that they they would feel the love, they would feel the invitation of salvation, that they would make that step. And Lord, I pray that all of us would be able to take that seat of service.
And Lord, as you move within and amongst us today, I pray you would just prompt us, Lord, in whatever our thoughts are right now, in whatever, whatever way our minds are racing, Lord, I pray you would just give us that word. Give us that prompt. Remind each one here that they have an invitation and that to serve is to be blessed. Lead us in the way that you want us to sit, Lord. Help us all to encourage one another. Lord, I pray for our young people and our children. Lord, I pray that the words we speak over them would encourage them, Lord, that it wouldn't box them in, but Lord, it would praise their their, um, beautiful characteristics. I thank you for the young people that serve in our church. Lord, I thank you for them. I thank you for their willingness to show up. Lord, I pray that even as they grow up, Lord, that they will be even um, stronger in this message than we are, Lord, that you would just help us to nurture them. That is our prayer this morning, Lord. Lord, I just pray you keep this word in our minds today. I pray you would just help it to, to ruminate, Lord, help, us, help it to stir something within us. Bless us today, Lord. Bless us this first Sunday of Advent. We pray that it would be a special season for all all of our families in the church, Lord. I pray for the person, Lord, this morning who's really brokenhearted. Lord, and you know who they are, Lord, and I pray, I pray comfort over them this morning. That the peace that only you can give would rest upon them this morning, Lord. That you would soothe that broken heart. You would help us to love each other well, Lord, in this season. In your name we pray. Amen.